I really want to ask us to do things a little bit different tonight. Brother Doug and Brother Dave and Brother Wes, I'm sorry I didn't talk to you about this, but if you won't mind. I want to do things slightly different tonight because, uh, let me just switch on this thing. I just want to test something. You, you know, in, in the ideal world, um, I, I, I would like it to be less of a presentation and more participation on a Sunday night. And so what I want to ask you to do is, if it's cool with you, because usually I start and I'll give some questions out, right? And th this time I'm going to leave the questions for the end. So I'll, go, I'll do a brief exegesis of the text we're talking about tonight. And then I'd like us to just split up into three groups. Just as you are, I know we've got views, it's not easy. Uh, if if th these people can get together, and I'm going to ask Doug to just lead the discussion. And Dave, if you won't mind leading the people in front of you and next to you. And Wes, if you won't mind handing the people there at the back. I know it's not going to be that comfortable. You know, I can already see, you know, um, old Steve struggling to bend his back. But, I mean, you can talk to each other. Because then we can look at the text and we can think about it and talk to one another about it. And, and... Um, maybe if, if, if you, you guys are done and, and you've got nothing more to say, then we can, maybe you can give some feedback. If not, talk until you want to and, and then pray and then we can close off. Can we try it? All right, let's see how it goes. Um, so I want to uh, just remind you that um, Paul was called over in a dream to Macedonia. He gets into Macedonia, and the first city that he hits is Philippi. And in Philippi, he meets, I'm just giving you the highlights quickly. Uh, he goes down to the river. That's where he meets Lydia. He, he teaches her the gospel. Also in Philippi, Paul chases out a demon from a demon-possessed girl. Those are the highlights in Philippi. And then he moves to Thessalonica, and there he finds quite a big uh, Jewish um, crowd, and they instigate a mob against him. And so there's violence and an eruption in that city. And then from Thessalonica, he goes over to Berea, and then he finds some really cool people there. In Berea, he finds actually Jews with an open mind and open Bibles, which I think is the highlight for him. Um, and then he goes to Athens, this great city that we looked at last week. And he's alone in this great city. He walks up and down, and he sees what's a very religious city. And they've got lots of idols. And there he preaches one of the greatest sermons, uh, I think, in the Bible. And we, we looked briefly at that last week. And now tonight, he enters Corinth. Just to keep us on the map, that's, that's where he had the, the, the dream in Troas. He moved over to Philippi, and then he went to Thessalonica, then he went to Berea, the people with open Bibles, then he went down to Athens, and tonight he's going to Corinth over there. So he is over in Corinth. And that's where our text starts tonight, Acts chapter 18. I want to get through this. I don't want to spend too much time on it so that we have lots of time to discuss, but um, uh, hopefully less than 10 minutes. After, no guarantee, after, Paul, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. The first question I have is, where's Pontus? And I found this pretty interesting when I went to go look at the map quickly. Um, oh, that's Corinth. I don't know why I put that in there. Okay, so that was a dumb move. I'll just go back here. 
Can you see where Pontus is? Anybody? What do you remember about Bithynia and Pontus? It doesn't say Pontus. It says Bithynia. That Paul was blocked from entering Bithynia. Do you remember that? He was blocked from entering that territory. And here's God like five cities later. He's like, now I'm going to send you stuff. Don't worry, I've got some people. That's from there. Don't worry. In the future, they'll take the message back there. Don't worry, you just come. We, I need you in Macedonia. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so that's, that's the first thing I saw. That we don't know who Claudius, you know, what the story was with Claudius. We're not sure as to why they were told to leave Italy. Um, we do know that, as we see in this text, that Paul always started first with the, with the Jews, right? And these two people that he's connecting with, Priscilla and Aquila, they are tent makers. That's two reasons to link up with them. Number one, they've got the Jewishness as, they, as, as a connecting point, and they've got tent making as well. Um, you read about these guys numerous times, these two, this, this couple. You read about them in Romans, Timothy, 1 Corinthians. Their names pop up. They seem to have been an incredible source of encouragement to Paul and assistance with his ministry. Um, so it seems like Paul um, is still alone. He's, in, he's, he's left Athens. He's in Corinth. And it seems like during the week he's making tents. And he's talking to Priscilla and Aquila. They talk about the gospel. They make tents. And then on the Saturday he goes in and he debates the, the guys in the synagogue. All right. Um, just to get us sort of an indication, once again, for those of you who don't know, Cor there, there's, uh, that's modern Corinth, as you can see over there. There's the ancient Corinth. That piece of land, it's between the Gulf of Corinth and the Saronic Gulf. Um, it, it's quite a big peninsula that the ships had to travel around. And so what they did, even, even today, is, is that the ships would come over there and they would be dragged across land. We spoke about this a few weeks ago. They actually still have today the evidence of what this road looked like where they put the ships onto um, some type of a wheeled thing and they would drag the ships over land. So they don't have to sail around the whole peninsula to get to the Gulf of Corinth. And so when these people came with their ships, they parked, parked for a while while this ship of theirs was being dragged over, over the, the land. Now uh, they've got a canal that they've built there. But um, back then, it was, that's how they did it. And you can imagine when they've been on the, the ship for a long time, they would, you know, they would engage in prostitution. Uh, there was a big temple in Corinth with women that shaved their hair. And I mean, you can pick up all, of all that stuff in the book of Corinthians. That's why Paul talks to this church. I mean, that's why there's, there's drunkenness going on in the church. There's fornication going on in the church. There's all kinds of funny things going Guys, if you know a friend that's on the ship, that works on ships, be careful of them. No, I'm just joking. I mean, but you can imagine pirates in these days, they were pretty, um, and, and there, was, there was big Isthmian games named after that isthmus over there. And so it's sort of Olympic type of games and gladiators and gambling and all the greatest ideas that came from different parts of the world. There was a lot of that going on in Corinth. Brief summary. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. The presence of Timothy and, and um, Silas provided Paul with the opportunity to be dedicated to preaching. It seems like before that he had to make tents to survive, 
And then the text says there that, that he, he devoted himself exclusively. The, the, the original language actually says it better, that he was pressed in his spirit to preach. He was pressed in his spirit to preach. He's been burning to do so, and now he could go and do that. Because the other two could now work and provide what they needed so he can go and preach. He didn't have to work anymore to pay for his um, Airbnb. The Jews then responded to his message in two ways. He starts preaching and they respond in two ways. The text says that they opposed him. They opposed him. The Greek word is antitasomai, which means to resist, to refuse, to accept, or to allow him. So they refused this message. And then it says not only did they oppose him, but they became abusive. And the Greek word there, you will know exactly what this means, is blasphemeo. They blasphemed the message, and we know what Jesus says about that. And that could also mean that they vilify him, they defame, defame the message, and they speak evil of it and of him. And what does Paul do in response to that? He shakes off his um, garment, and he says, well, now you're guilty of your own blood. And if, 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 if you don't know where that comes from, here's an example. Ezekiel chapter 3 says, verse 16, At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying, listen, I told you guys, without Christ, you're condemned to eternity. I've told you guys this. I'm a watchman for God. I've been appointed by Him. You don't want to listen? I wash my hands. I won't be held responsible for you. For you. you will be held responsible for you. Then verse 7 says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. It's possible that this justice guy was, a, was probably a proselyte, and his house would be a perfect place then. It's right next to the synagogue, and the Jews and the Greeks would feel welcome to go there where Paul is busy preaching. And it's interesting that Paul recognizes he's going to have more success at his house than in the synagogue. Very sharp thinking there. It's also very interesting to take note of who gets converted here. The ruler of the synagogue. That is pretty powerful. So what's interesting for me is that the opposition, the sectarian opposition within the synagogue was more powerful than its leader. It was so strong they would even kick the leader out. Very interesting. Um, and here we have another interesting thing in red there. Believed and were baptized. Some people say Mark chapter 16 is the only place. No, it's not. Belief and baptism go together. And I found it interesting. I saw this week a quote by Martin Luther. And if you know church history and the Reformation movement, you'll know about this guy. But he said something interesting that is different from the Calvinism that I've so often um, heard about. He says... We are saved by faith alone. Now, we've heard that before. But listen what he says next. He says, but the faith that saves 
is never alone. That's an interesting spin, eh? And, and, and there's so much truth in that. This, the, the type of faith that saves is never alone. It's, it's always accompanied by action. And that's what we see here. Beautiful. Faith and baptism go together. It's like breathing. Faith and works go together. It's like breathing, right? All right, let's go on. Verse 9, what happens next? One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Now remember, where is he busy preaching? At Titius Justice's house. And then this message comes. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a whole year and a half teaching them the word of God. Now Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 3 that he came to Corinth, this very place. That he came there filled with weakness, fear and trembling. Paul was scared. And I've got to be honest with you, when the Apostle Paul is scared, I get scared. I mean, he gets scared. Imagine how we would feel. I, I mean, it couldn't have been an easy place. It was, a, it was a scary place. Paul had escaped death quite a few times. He was stoned in Lystra. You remember that? There were mobs and people that have arrested him. His life has been on the line multiple times, but he gets into Corinth and he's scared. And heaven knows that. Something was different to this place. He felt weak and vulnerable. And Jesus speaks specifically to him, and he says something interesting. That's the first time I picked it up. Then in verse 10, for I'm with you, and no one is going to attack or harm you. In the Greek, he actually says, nobody's going to hurt you. That tells me that Paul was scared of getting hurt. Interesting. Maybe he's had enough, eh? Yeah, I've been stoned once, and I've been beaten a few times. I don't feel like it today. Lord, can you help me through this time? I don't feel like somebody punching me in the head. So... Jesus comforts him from heaven, and I think um, that's, that's perhaps also why in, in, in the previous few cities he escaped, like at night, and then they take him to Athens, and you know, so maybe he didn't want to go through the beating again, and that's fine. Um, Jesus is also revealing to us here what gets Paul into trouble, if you read the text. He says to him, keep on speaking, don't be silent. Because Paul had become to realize if he speaks, he gets into trouble. When I open my mouth, psh, I get beaten. Open your mouth, somebody throws you the brick in the head. So he knows it's his tongue. People in darkness hate the light. Those who believe in lies hate the truth. And they respond with aggression. So Jesus comforts Paul with one thought. He says, I have many people in this city. You are not alone. And we will see how that plays out soon. And we'll discuss that in the questions. Verse 12 says, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Gallio was essentially the governor of Achaia, which is a province. So, it is similar to standing in front of, who's our governor? Tina Kotek? Is that our? Yeah. So it's like standing in front of this lady. Paul went up to high places, eh? Okay? Why do they bring Paul to this guy? Why, why don't they just stone him? Because they were not allowed to. They were not allowed to kill Paul without Roman permission. And the Roman law saved, in this instance, Paul from execution. So... I can imagine Paul receives this vision from God, 
saying, um, yeah, I, I'm going to be with you, man. I've got many people in the city. And then he gets arrested. And then he's like, oh, God, where are you? Where are your people? And God's like, hey, don't worry, man. I've got the govern, governor in my back pocket. You'll see. You'll, you're going to see in just a moment's time. And it's interesting, um, the word there, um, th they made a united attack against him. Uh, the original language said they made an insurrection with one accord against him. And he was used to that. So verse 14 says, just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. And so he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatever. This is such a cool text. What is Paul used to? When he gets in front of a crowd being accused of something, what does he use? His mouth. And so he's right there and he's about to speak. And God's like, no, I got this, bro. I got a connection here. You just relax. I'll sort this out. That's the God that we serve. This time he doesn't even have to say anything. And maybe that is what he meant when he said, I've got many people in the city. What does that mean? Well, we're going to leave that open for the discussion time. What does it mean? When he says, I've got many people. If you get into trouble for speaking in my name, don't worry. Someone will do my will and get you out of trouble. And then there's interesting. Did you pick up in verse 17? Who do we have there? Sosthenes. Synagogue leader. But I thought, I thought this other guy was the synagogue leader. And he got converted. So who's this guy? His replacement. <laughs> the other guy got fired, man. He followed Jesus. This guy got kicked to the curb. And shame, the new guy that takes in the position was potentially, I don't know, was potentially one of the leaders that opposed and abused Paul. And now he gets beaten. Yes, the justice of God is incredible. Eh? It's like, okay. The guys that oppose you, don't worry. I'm going to knock them out. You, you watch and learn and see. All right. That's all I have. Any questions before we go to the questions? Nothing. Okay, I'm going to put the questions on here. If you guys don't mind huddling up into a little unit, then here's some questions to discuss. I'll go over them quickly for those who do listen to the recording at home. Why could it be more effective to reach people for Christ at the workplace? Did the concept of tent making affect Paul's relationship with Priscilla and Aquila? And to reflect on our own lives as well. Could you see that there's benefit? It's... You could maybe get more done trying to teach somebody the gospel that works with you than some stranger. And why is that the case? Under which conditions can we feel satisfied with not sharing the gospel with people anymore? Paul looks at the people in the synagogue and he makes a decision. I'm not going to talk to you guys anymore. My hands are washed and he goes next door. Under what condition? How do we know? Okay, I've spent enough time on this person trying to teach him. Read 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1 to 5. What was Paul pressed in his spirit to preach about and why that specific topic. Fourthly, why is it important that faith is combined with baptism? Why do they go together? And lastly, what does it mean when Jesus said to Paul, I have many people in this city? Do you guys think you can do that? Do you, do you think you can break out of the ordinary tonight? Some of you find it very easy, but I can see some of you don't want to move. 
You're stuck in that seat. All right, let's go.